The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. This morning we're picking up our story in uh, Genesis 26. Um, first verse. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gera. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I, will, where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and I will bless you. For you and your descendants I will give, for to you and your descendants I will give this land and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and I will give them all the lands and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gera. When the men of this place asked him about his wife, he said, She's my sister. Because he was afraid to say, She is my wife. He thought, The men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and he saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She really is your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech says, What is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all of the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Isaac planted crops in the land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all of the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Move away from us, you have become too powerful for us. If you've been journeying through the story with us, you'd be going, This is deja vu all over again. Back in Genesis 12, we read the story of Abraham's father Isaac, sorry, Isaac's father Abraham, after he had been shown the first glimpse of the land of promise. And he'd been told how many descendants he would have. And he travelled south into the same region and then he continued, because there was a famine in the land, he continued south and into Egypt. And back then, as he was to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, he said, uh, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say that you're my sister, that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. And that didn't end very well. You may remember that the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. 
Some time later, they'd been back up in the uh, land of promise. And Abraham again moved south, this time into the same area where Isaac now is. And he had met Abimelech. Now, it may or may not be the same Abimelech. It may be. It's also possible that it's a family name, as in uh, Henry I, Henry II, Henry III. Or it may well be that Abimelech is a title, in the same way that Pharaoh is a title. They never refer to Pharaoh Ramesses or anything else in the Bible. It's always just Pharaoh. And it's possible Abimelech is the same, because if you carry on reading through the stories later on, there are at least one other Abimelech comes into the story. But the name means my father reigns. Anyway, when Abraham met Abimelech back in Genesis 20, we read now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And for a while he stayed in Gera, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, she's my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gera, uh, said for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said, you're as good as a dead man uh, because of the woman that you have taken. She is a married woman. And now whether or not this is the same Abimelech, that's not the important thing. The important thing is here we have the son repeating the mistakes of his father. Isaac is asking his wife, Rebecca. Remember, this is the wife that God has chosen for him. And Isaac is asking her to be prepared to put her body on the line to protect him. Just say you're my sister. At least when his father said to Sarah, just say you're my sister, at least it was a half-truth. Because they were half-brother, half-sister. As well as being husband and wife. But even the lie is not the issue. It's the fact that for a start, this is becoming a family pattern. They talk about the sins of the fathers being visited on the children. We pick up patterns in our families. And then there's this massive disrespect that again Isaac is showing to his beautiful wife that God had given him. But there's even greater disrespect being shown to God. Remember, we're not talking about just two random blokes in a story. This is Abraham, the father of all who have faith. And his son, Isaac, the son of the promise. Good men, chosen by God, called by God, but far from perfect. And Isaac is following the same sinful pattern as his father. But I actually think it's worse. Because if we go back into the story with Abraham... We noted at the time that there was no apparent record of Abraham having had a conversation with God after he met with God in the promised land. Abraham had just of his own volition headed south and of his own volition headed to Egypt. But in this morning's reading we're told that there we go, we're told that the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, don't go down to Egypt, live in the land where I tell you to live, stay in the land for a while, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. And I wondered to myself, which bit of I will be with you, and I will bless you, did Isaac not get? Think back over the story so far. God had provided Isaac to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. 
later on, when God had commanded Abraham to offer Isaac as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah, God provided a ram in Isaac's place. And then God had provided, as we've read, this beautiful wife, Rebecca, for him. And now God has clearly restated the promises to Isaac. And still, Isaac's like, hey, Rebecca, just say you're my sister. Because I'm not sure that the God who has provided so much and promised so much, I'm not sure that he can keep me safe. But I'm pretty sure I can if we just tell this little lie. Think about that for a moment. All that God has done and all that God has promised and Isaac's not sure that God can protect him. That's a big lesson for Isaac to learn. In time it'll become obvious just how unnecessary the lie was because when he has found out in the lie, Abimelech gives orders to all of the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife will surely be put to death. Abimelech doesn't cause him harm. He doesn't allow anyone to cause him harm. Abimelech becomes the one who provides for him and protects him, and God blesses him. It wasn't lost on me that he said that he planted a, a, a harvest and reaped, reaped a hundredfold. And I thought of Jesus telling the, the parable of the sower and the seed, and there was the, the great harvest with 30, 60, a hundredfold. So God blessed him abundantly. So there's a lesson here for Isaac. But I found myself sitting there last Sunday afternoon reading the story and going, I've covered this twice. What am I going to say that's different this time? There were lessons for us to learn last time. And it really was kind of random. And I believe these were God prompts because I'm sitting in the car down behind the uh, community centre. I'm just waiting for Margaret. She was due to arrive from, she'd been over in Henderson and we were going to go in and do our civic duty on the first day of voting and cast our votes. So we went in. But I'm sitting in the car. I'd sent Gay a couple of texts. And then the thought came to me, don't repeat the sins of a former generation. And I'm going, well, that was weird. Where was that for? And it was like, for this passage. And I'm going, okay. But what does that mean for us? And then the thought came about the verses that I finished with last Sunday in Revelation where God says to the church at Ephesus, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your, or forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And I found myself saying, what were the things we did at first? And that's a great question for each of us to pause and say, what did my relationship look like with God when I first believed? Or each step of the journey where I've recommitted myself and, you know, we step forward and we, over time, settle, maybe. But then I was reminded that this letter is not written to an individual, it's written to a church, to a once great church. And I was reminded of an article that I've had on my file 
I've had it on my iPad for the last eight years. But it was a message written by the late Brian Hathaway when he was pastoring this church, and he's so well known for his teaching on the kingdom of God. In this particular article, he talks about the importance for the church to embrace all three dynamics of the kingdom. Words, living by the truth of God. And he talked about the strong heritage we have, or they had particularly as a brethren congregation, such a strong reliance on the word of God. And then he talked about signs, learning to live in the power of God. And then he talked about deeds, living out the love of God. And I thought to myself, well, we do okay on the words. I know when um, Mike was rung up to give a reference for Andy, and they said, what kind of church are you? Well, we're, we're a church that teaches the word. And uh, we look, when we have worship songs, we've changed one of the new songs we've been learning, we've changed one of the words because we didn't feel it fitted theologically accurately with scripture. So I think we do reasonably well when it comes to the teaching of the word. And given the resources we have available individually and collectively, I think we do pretty well on the deeds, living out the love of God. But I just sensed the stirring was in regard that second. I know from what God's been stirring in my own heart, and from so many conversations with so many people, I'm pretty sure that there are many of us who long to see more of the signs, more living in the power of God. How many times do you feel you just need more power in your walk of faith? You feel God calls you to things and you're going, how can I do that? I think we're doing okay, but I think God offers and calls us to so much more. To see more of his signs at work, and I'm not talking about a limited range of spiritual gifts, and the stuff I've read about spiritual gifts over the years, I don't categorise the gifts down because I don't see Paul categorising the gifts into this kind of gift and this. Not for the sake of the signs themselves, but because they are part of the kingdom that Jesus declared he had come to bring. He said he came to offer us life in all its fullness. And if we're not walking fully in the power of his spirit, then we are not living in the fullness of life that God offers. And then I thought about Acts 1. We were told that the Holy Spirit was given that we might be empowered to take the message of the gospel, the kingdom, to the ends of the earth. And I look at our nation and I do believe we've been incredibly blessed, Mike. But I'm not sure that the church in this country is doing as well as it once did in taking the message of the kingdom of God to this nation, let alone beyond. And so I found myself asking, so what's the connection between this morning's passage and this hunger, this desire, on our part, and I believe on God's part, for us to see more of his spirit at work in our midst. 
And I believe it has so much to do with the story we tell ourselves. Here is Isaac, God's chosen, son of the promise. He's experienced God's provision. He has heard God speak, not just that still small voice. He's heard God speak with great clarity. He's heard God's promises. He'd heard them, no doubt, through his father Abraham, and now he's heard them again for himself. And he knows that God is powerful. And he tells himself, but I need my wife to protect me. Really? And then I wonder, what am I telling myself that is limiting God's power in my life? Do I believe and act according to his word? Or do I act according to the things I tell myself? Or the things others say? Or the things others might say? And collectively as a congregation, do we believe and act according to what God says? And do we act according to the things we, or do we act according to the things that we tell ourselves and the things that others say and have said about us? The Apostle Paul in Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For the grace, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as the, each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. In accordance with your faith. I love that prophecy is immediately followed by serving. Both must come in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there are many gifts listed elsewhere. If you want to read some more, you 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 11. In fact, I would again suggest that if you want to know more and you want to think more and you want to reflect more on this afterwards, Go back, quietly read through Romans 8 and again and again. And 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. There is some really powerful teaching about these gifts that God has given and their purpose and the way they're to be used. These are not roles to fill. These are, these are signs. And again, we write off serving and mercy but God doesn't. These are signs. These, 
when we have these gifts and when we exercise these gifts, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God himself is released. And the body of Christ, we're told, the church is strengthened and built up. And God says, so don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. I've often thought about that and said, well, most of us actually think of ourselves less than we ought in New Zealand. We've got a pretty low self-esteem thing going on. How many of us think of ourselves more highly than we ought? But as I was preparing this, that was kind of challenged because I think we do think of ourselves more highly than we ought. See, for Isaac, he wasn't thinking with sober judgment. He was thinking of himself far more highly than he should. Because God said, I will be with you and I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will take care of you. And Isaac figures he's got to do it on his own. He's got to find his own way because God's not actually able to do that. And John, chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And he says, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Do we trust him? Take him at his word? Or do we figure we've got to do it on our own and rely on our own strengths? God says if your gift is prophesying or serving or teaching, God says whatever your gift is, whatever your gifts that I've given you, discover them and use them and my power will be released. And we go, but I might look silly. I might sound silly. I might say something wrong. I might do something wrong. I might not be successful. How many of you sit there on a Sunday morning when it's like, so what's God been saying in your life and you've got this little thing going over in your head saying, I've been saying that to you this week. Yeah, but if I say that, it's going to sound really dumb. So we sit there quietly. Or the invitation's given if you're a musician or a vocalist and you want to join the worship team, come along on the Thursday night practice and you go, oh, yeah, no, I'll probably mess it up. Let Mike decide whether you're going to mess it up. Just come along to the practice. Maybe, Sandra. But how often we ignore what God is saying because we're listening to our own voices, the things that we tell ourselves, the things that others have said, the fear of failure, the fear of what others might say, or the memory of what others have said in the past when you've taken a chance. I think of poor old Peter. The number of times Jesus goes, oh, Peter. Peter just hopped out of a boat and walked across the water, and Jesus is going, Peter, where did your face go? It's like, I got this far? And we're so afraid to step out of the boat. We're so afraid to take the risk and to trust God. But sober judgment doesn't go, I'll have to do it on my own strength. Sober judgment says, what does God say? If God calls me to do something, then I've got to trust that he'll give me the grace and the strength to do it. And if I don't get it right the first time, 
He's teaching me. I'm learning and I'm growing. Sober judgment declares, to borrow the words of a song that we sing recently, I am who you say I am. If you want to think of yourself with sober judgment, use that phrase. I was talking with Margaret about this after I'd had that sort of conversation, I think, with God on, on Monday, and uh, she noted that one of the foundational statements here in our youth ministry is that I belong to Jesus and define who I am by what he says. And she goes on to say, when the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, and goes for our he goes for our identity. How much of an issue that is for our young people these days. That's why young people, she says, need to know that they belong to Jesus and his view of us matters most. Are they learning that from us? Do they see that for us? That it's not how we view ourselves that matters, but it's how God views us, what God says about us. I had a friend in Melbourne, and I think it was transformative for me. He hammered home to me time and again. It's all about your identity, who you are in Christ. It's not about what you do and you don't do when you trip and when you fail and when you come short of what your aspirations are. It's who are you in Christ? Who does he say you are? Things won't always work out how we hope. But when we hear God's Spirit prompting us to act, when he says something to us to share, it doesn't matter what others say. It doesn't really matter what you might say to yourself. We need to learn to live our lives before an audience of one. He is the only one that matters. What does God say? As we read in Hebrews 11, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God wants us to step out in faith, to be obedient to him, to listen to his voice, to listen to what he calls, to listen to what he says, to the people he calls us to be, to what he says about us, and act in faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. If only Isaac had understood that, he would not have been in fear and put his relationship with his wife on the line. If only we believed that more than we do today, then I believe God could do what he wants to do through this congregation here on the peninsula and beyond. Live to please him. He's your first love. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek his, his purposes and his character. My prayer is, Lord, I am who you say I am. Grant me the grace to live accordingly. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatitu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.